0: Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Racken and your host for the Cloud 2030 Podcast. This episode is about orchestration and working with orchestration in automated systems and finding the right balance between things that are event-driven and things that are workflow-driven or more linear. And we go through some of the history of where we went from linear orchestration, Ansible, Uh, Timed orchestration, Chef, Puppet, uh, and include SaltStack, which had an event-driven system into it, but didn't gain the traction that we might have expected as we look at the amount of orchestration systems that are now coming to light. And in this conversation, we really have a very effective discussion about the balance between when you orchestrate and when you want to do workflow and linear transactions and, and how to find that sweet spot. And spoiler, one of the things
1: that we've uh, determined is there aren't a lot of tools that hit that sweet spot. And I think if you listen carefully, you'll see why.
0: Responding to events, batch processing events, emitting events from automation, <laughs> alerts and alarms. Boy, does anybody have a place they want to start?
1: So many places we could start. Um, I guess we, we could go down the, the memory lane of devolution of event processing. Um, mm, okay. I, I, it's kind of hard to, to say like how far we want to take it. Like we could probably stop at the kernel. <laughs>
0: you're going you're going to totally I was thinking more like the difference between a messaging system with guaranteed delivery and um and just responding to events. Because that one of the things we talked about in the past was like webhooks and triggers and mm-hmm. things like
1: that. Well, that, that's kind of what, why I wanted to go through through history because, okay. because it, it, it does affect which technologies we have out there today. Like Kafka, for example, has long been taught it as like the, the universal event uh, processing mm, system. True uh but i mean even going back uh, like the windows had the 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 band buffer uh for quite a while which was not very well received um message queues <laughs> like the, the dde stuff
0: and dcom yeah
1: oh my goodness yeah, yeah. that's true and, and and i mean linux has its own share of, of those as well like all, all the, the the various like DBAs and, uh, and other ones. Um, so so yeah, I, I mean, it, I just wanted to, to to briefly go over that just to, to put some context into like what's being today, being done today as, like, event processing, and there's also a, a, a growing difference between centralized event processing systems and, and distributed ones or or at least like single system uh, like of the operating system ones and um distributed ones like uh pops up Nets, kafka etc um and then of course as as you brought, uh, brought it up as well like webhooks as events themselves are, yep. uh yeah um i mean what I would consider would webhooks you include, as like,
0: the agenda in, in this. I mean serverless in, in a in a sense is an event subs- is an event system.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would actually consider this as three parts of the of the event processing stack. So you you have mm-hmm. the event emitters, which webhooks that's what they are uh you have the event message distribution systems um again pops up nats uh sqs etc uh and then you have the event processors which yes you lambdas would be a, a one implementation of an event processor um but uh I mean that's as far as architecture goes. Um, next question is like if anyone has any particular use case, then we we, we can talk more specifically about that. Um, I, I think when we came up to, with this topic, Rob, uh, Rob, we were talking about uh, event processing um, specifically to uh, with with regards to like digital rebar, wasn't it?
0: That's that's where you know we're building a ton of event stuff into the into the system, um, to, from an orchestration perspective. So being able to respond to an event, um, and and it's it's tricky, is the thing that like so for for what we're building. Um, and I think, but I, I think the things we're hitting are, are not unique to digital rebar. So I think they, they become very interesting topics. Like if you're doing event processing and you events come in, but you're not matching it, it can be very hard to know why nothing's happening. <laughs> because typically uh, unmatched events are discarded. And so if you're processing you know, a stream of events and your filters are wrong, Figuring out what's happening is, is super hard. Like the negative cases um,
1: have been tricky to me. Sounds like you might need uh, either a dead letter queue or, mm. or, or or you may need to expose metrics like a, like a histogram of events. and then you can say, okay, in in the past hour, uh, these many events got processed, and, and these many other events got dropped because of filters. or Oh, that's
2: an interesting
0: so
1: idea.
2: On. Question that, B is that, Are you filtering yeah. on the consumer side? Or are you doing the filtering or matching in the actual transport itself? So, what determines whether an event is a match? So it depends on on the
0: on how they're being generated, but we there's a there's an ability to everything we do generates an event, which is pretty common, I think, and I don't think that's an unusual pattern. But um, and so you can subscribe to events as part of uh, internal operations, and so that from a triggers perspective, you have the option to say subscribe to this event and trigger and and build a trigger that starts when that event is detected. And then it'll pass in and forget you know, that the, the body of the event payload. gets mm-hmm. the trigger. And if it's a webhook, right, a webhook is different in that it's there's a landing, you know, it lands somewhere. And then you have the data of the payload from the at, that event. Um, but it's it's been, you know, in my experience in building these, it's pretty common to be like, OK, I want when this happens, I want that to happen. And it can be really frustrating to be building something and being like, "I I built this, I set it up, it it doesn't fire. How do I test it? You have to to for an event trigger. You have to recreate the event. My that was my headache with lambdas, right? It was incredibly hard to troubleshoot lambdas because I was building, I was handcrafting the events to trigger the my lambdas to fire, and the only way I could actually test my lambdas was by And triggering the events, and if things didn't match, I was toast. Which is, I mean, we have the same problem when we build uh, event-triggered orchestration. Mm
1: -hmm. Is it it that you were trying to rebuild an event that had been marked as successfully processed, and then the result of the processing was questionable? or wait are the debug I have that, I have that problem
0: uh, too <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but because I mean ultimately that there is uh there's a difference between that and, and let's say a process that had or 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 a an event processor that failed to process an an event in which case that's I mean, the, the the simplistic the solution to that is to use a message queue and then only acknowledge having received the event once you've successfully processed it. On the other hand, that also means that if you have a malformed event, then your message queue is stuck.
0: Well, I actually think of messaging as different than events. Like an event is just a stream of stuff happening. There's no expectation that somebody's listening to it. Usually I think of messages as... And I, I know there's a there's a there's a huge gray zone with this, um, and maybe that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. So if you're using a, a message queue system to what flood and flooding it with events, um, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Maybe it's handy because you can rewind and say, okay, I need to know these events happen. But you also always end up with the problem of, oh, this is an hour old event. Please don't. You know, I don't want you to process it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's where the, where a dead letter queue comes in handy. And that, um, like, the first thing that that uh, that the event processor does when when it consumes the uh, message from the message queue is say, is this still within valid parameters? So, um, for example, if, if it's an older event, then say like, okay. Put it in the dead letter queues and, and, and just say like, okay, I'm not processing this, uh, but you're still keeping it just to, to verify that it hasn't been processed. Or if it's an event that, um, let's say, the message is malformed, again, dead letter queue. Let, let someone deal with it, and then you alert on, on the dead letter queue being non-empty so that you can actually review what's going on there. Um, isn't isn't that part of the Kafka architecture? Kafka
0: things I've seen have had queuing letter queue you know that type of of queue bucket dead letter queue.
1: I've I've never used it specifically in the context of Kafka, but but yes, it's it's a common paradigm. You know, the the first time I I I came across it was uh, when I was working with Logstash uh, actually. Parsing logs in 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 into metrics before I I picked up Prometheus, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, so at some point you you got because of the nature of logs you, you're gonna have a message that is unparsable. So, um, if you want to figure out why uh, something wasn't parsed, you need a debugger queue. Um, but I mean, that's of course assuming that like you need to handle every event, or at least acknowledge that, that you try to handle every event. Uh, if it's just more of a firehose kind of thing, and, and, you, and, is, and there's a lot of noise in there, um, mm. I mean, you, you could put a pre-filter in there before you put it into your message queue, so that if ultimately what goes into the queue is anything that you want to be able to handle. Um, there's also the question of whether you need certain uh, certain ordering uh, guarantees uh, for the events. like does event A need to be handled for event B if it was emitted before B?
0: An interesting. So one of the things that you're making me realize in this is there's an assumption of the expense of the processing overhead for the event. Like some of, some of what you're describing, if, you know, our expectation is that like we have a fairly heavyweight, um, you know, cost for processing an event. Like we're not, I'm not expecting to have a flood of events coming through and filter them in the processing phase. I'm expecting the filters will be done in, you know, that you'll filter the, you'll fil- you'll filter out the events. It's like, if you were doing a Kafka system, you wouldn't just dump everything into processing, you would only want pro- you'd only for us, you'd only process things that you care about. I'm assuming, like even lambda is the same thing. If you're not going to want to spin up a lambda on every every event, <laughs> um,
1: they charge you for that. Um, well, it, it it depends on on the nature of the event and on, on, on the frequency. Um, if if you if you know you're you're getting a constant stream then lambdas are, are probably not the best choice. You, you're gonna probably want some static um processor like uh, or
2: ECS or, or an EC2 instance.
1: Yeah, or, or a Kubernetes deployment with, with something with, with all scaling, but that's not uh that's not built per event. Um on, on the other hand they, at that if point, it
0: becomes a stream a stream processor at that point right
1: yeah uh and, and then and then you have the other case where like for example if an event is a customer signed up or something like that that mm-hmm. shouldn't happen very often. So yeah, then you can use potentially a lambda, assuming that you have an actual good use case for for lambdas in that case. Right. Yeah,
0: we had, we had a, um, I was testing some of our trigger stuff and which is designed for the lower, the lower frequency, but I, I put in a star 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 filter and it was tied to my Slack and quickly created um, you get a sort actually you get a circular loop in some cases like that for the events that you're creating events to create it, you know, when from event from things that you do, that then cause a cascade. Um, and I've, I think I had a 2,000 Slack message queue built up before I realized it and turned the thing off, which was seconds later. Yeah. And so, and those are real. Those are real operational pattern concerns, right? You can you can, you, if you you if you have an errant event causing something and you you end up with a deep queue to work through, that can be also problematic.
1: Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. again, like that. That's why you, you need to have a system able to to recognize that 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 you have that and be able to throw it in, into a dead letter queue so that uh, it uh, unplugs the backlog. Mm. Um, it's uh, it, it's it, it's an it ends up being a, a lot more complex than 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 it's than it seems at a glance, but. Uh,
0: that that has been that's been my sense on this. It's not as it's like you know, people are like, oh, it's just if if this then do that systems. Um right. but the, the, it especially in automation, it seems like it gets tricky really fast. Yeah.
1: I mean it's, simplistically, yes. So like if this then then do that. Um, um that's I mean that, I would mean, Speaking of if doesn't do that, like services like Zapier and, and, and Ift, uh, those are the um really the, the, the prototypical IoT uh, uh uh event processing system. So um I hadn't thought of Zapier as an IoT system. Uh, but it, it it kind of started like that.
0: Like my doorbell triggers, and so I need to hook it up to something else. So I'm going to get a Zap for it.
1: Well, it, uh, IoT do, really didn't exist by when, when Zapier first came out, or, or not, neither did, did when IFTT, uh came out. But uh, I, I see them as as having been again the, like the prototypes for um, uh, for IoT event processing, and and that there is, there are. Basically, they, they, they aggregated events from various from sources uh, and performed whatever action you wanted um, from that.
0: Which is really an API. I think of that as API translation. But it's not because it's taking events in. So it's it's not just uh, you're calling an API and you're passing it through. It's actually a, some type of... of no, no. I mean, it's, you're translating one one API action to another, or potentially multiple. I mean, from that perspective, you could look at Git GitLab, right? They're they're also this is this is why this topic's really interesting to me. Everybody, to an extent, has a degree of this type of
1: orchestration. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and uh, it it really comes down to uh, having to to do your requirement specification. Okay, like, what kind of events am I emitting? Uh, do I need to filter them? Do I need to process them in order? Do I need to have a guarantee that, that they're being processed? Um, what's the volume that, that I need to process? Um, and there's probably several other questions that, that, that I don't remember right now. Uh, only after you've answered those, can you go and look at the existing solutions and and figure out which one is best or or, or most appropriate uh, for for your use case. Here's the thing that seems weird to me, though,
0: because we've been talking about, um, we, the industry, DevOps, right, DevOps automation for a long, long time, right, going back to Ansible, Puppet, Chef, you know, Terraform. I, I don't... I feel like the this event conversation has ever really come up much in,
2: in my history in automation. So Salt had it. That was one of the really interesting things SaltStack had. Was a, I think it was Beacon is what they called it. They brought it out. And at that point, SaltStack was was third, fourth-ish in terms of the, the major configuration management players. especially how you view how early Ansible was at that point. Um, they never got the traction. That I think the actual capability deserved.
0: I agree. I agree strongly with you on that. Why? Why do you think that that happened? Well, You're I right mean, that, it, that whole reactor Yeah.
2: Reactor yeah. If you look at the the space, even from an operations perspective, it's still still in many ways very much devoid of a solution that addresses that from an operations-centric perspective. Um, StackStorm is the one I'm most close close to. Yeah, with the idea of self healing data center and all these constructs, the the major aspect is that it's very reliant upon content. Uh, with you look at the solutions like a Zapier and some of the others, they've already got the the built in curated aspects of Hey, you want to process this event? Then you can do this with that the downstream API, whether it's like post it to Slack or push it to a, an Excel spreadsheet, whatever it might be. Um, that That's the challenge that most of those players face, which is why when you look at even right now in comparison between an Ansible chef and a puppet, the route that Ansible has really leaned into heavily is the development of content. Um, enterprise organizations, especially, I mean, those are the ones that I deal most with. Often the they have the question of, well, this is great. But do I have to write any code or any automation? It'd be great if you had some of that already that I could just use. That's the challenge you run into all the time,
1: and, and it is. Go ahead, Klaus. It is also tempered by, um, by security. Then, then coming in and saying, like, do you trust this content? Like, do I trust this Ansible? galaxy playbook here but like, um, yeah most cases maybe <laughs> but they...
2: yeah which is which is why ansible started pushing the uh, the partner certified content mm. or technically red hat as a a, a value add
1: yeah yeah I, I, it it was a great decision on like they they needed that But I, I think also, again, like it, going back to the topic, like the uh, event processing. I, I think what what made Ansible so popular is that Ansible didn't intend or did, didn't didn't um, didn't position itself as a full event processing pipeline. It, it if anything, it, it it positioned itself more as an event processor, like you, 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 something happens, you run an Ansible playbook. How you, how you trigger the, the Ansible playbook, that is then is left up to, up to you. Uh, and that gave the Ansible users the freedom to plug it into all of their existing systems, including CI pipelines.
0: Well, it, it put the onus back on the operator to make a decision as, as to when. Yeah. Um but I you know and then they built control or tower, whatever name you want to defer to them on.
2: Now Ansible Automation Platform.
0: Ah, Ansible Automation Platform. <laughs> that just rolls off mm-hmm. the time. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> AAP. And uh right, which, which has some orchestration. I mean it has a degree of orchestration in it for Ansible. Um but I don't see them talking about it as an orchestrator. Like the Terraform orchestrators, you know, say they're orchestrator, which may, I I'm not sure that that definition includes. Like like the, the Ansible. I, it's not, I'm not going to remember it. Um, the automation platform runs Ansible. It is an orchestrator because you got to start the Ansible and then run the Ansible and then query the results. Terraform orchestrators are running Terraform on demand on some queue. They're, are those, do those classify as orchestrators? Because they're they're so job specific.
2: So Tower can, Tower can actually do orchestration. I think they'd call them templates where I can take multiple jobs and then actually, actually orchestrate the execution of those with some additional logic. Yeah,
1: um, the, the, the question I guess is whether the the tools that uh that position themselves as terraform orchestrators are able to handle inventory or not i i I think that that's what for me what 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 makes ansible an orchestrator is the ability to say i have this event which applies to this inventory of hosts and runs and then runs this playbook um, with Terraform. I mean, Atlantis, yeah, has it because it, it has this inventory of, of of Atlantis plans, uh, and that applies to to certain hosts. Um, where it's, where it gets a bit muddy is that Terraform itself provisions the host, so so in in many cases, um, like the 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 Terraform plan itself is the inventory, uh, unless you start looking at more as more as, uh, like okay, like instead of treating a treating a host as a target, it, it's then your cloud platform as a target or your virtualization platform. Um, so it's it's a bit of a gray zone, I think.
0: I is this necessary, right? I mean, it's fascinating to me to think through that SALT had this, was too complex or too hard
2: to understand. So it's the case of the, the, uh, in my opinion, the target audience, which was operations, in most cases, doesn't necessarily understand the use case from a practical standpoint. So typically it's positioned or touted as things like auto-remediation, Uh, which, I mean, you've got examples at scale at the the Googles, the Netflixes, the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's of even various homegrown solutions that they've built. It's just very difficult to translate that down to a much smaller scale that is very heterogeneous. So when you're dealing with a, a Google or a Netflix or a Facebook, you're talking thousands of objects that are very similar in their configuration. And so when I want to run some auto remediation in my environment, that is let's say a percentage of the size I don't have that that standardization um, nor do I have that scale to often really get that
1: benefit i I'm not sure I quite agree with that uh, given that i mean i i'm I'm looking at this from from a GitHub perspective really because we, we we're replying we're applying to the same principles uh in Kubernetes, and um, so so we, you you have your your target configuration, uh, and then you have a drift detection loop, which then emits events if, if reconciliation is necessary. Um, now that that that's that's it. That's I said that like I I I think that this this is still applicable in 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 non cloud environments. But one thing where, where I will agree with you is the the heterogeneity makes it difficult to provide such a reconciliation process out of the box. So if if it, if it had been mm-hmm. built into configuration management, whether that's Ansible or Puppet or, or Salt, it would likely be very limited. Like you, mm-hmm. it, like being able to. Detect the 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 configuration drift would would have likely required a a rather rich plugin ecosystem that I don't think these companies have the bandwidth to maintain. So I think they made the right decision okay. to position themselves outside of of that of that requirement and saying if you run this tool it will reconcile but you need to have your own way of triggering set reconciliation
2: well i know that's a a big thing even though when i was at, at puppet and obviously spent a lot of time around puppet was you'd had large enterprises that would leverage Puppet's drift detection, but wouldn't do an enforcement in automated fashion. So they would literally push it off to okay, Puppet can auto-remediate that, but I'm not going to let Puppet auto-remediate it. I'm going to manually be the trigger after Puppet has detected the drift.
1: Yeah, a lot of that comes down to lack of trust. And, and, And it's one of the biggest hurdles to Kubernetes to adoption it is that you need to learn to let go and, and trust the reconciliation loop. Like, the, you need you need to put faith in the control plane and uh, in, in that if it says that, that if you tell it that, that let's say, you need three parts of this deployment, it will make those pods happen. Uh, until you get there, it, it's very hard. And and the people that use the conversion management, uh, they are historically control freaks. I know that because I was one. Uh, like I, I started well, with, with configuration it's... management and I, I I wanted to know I, I wanted to know that a change happened when I told it to happen.
0: Yes. So this is one of our our challenges with Puppet and Chef when we started our, our journey with them was that waiting for the, the poll cycle was was not satisfactory from an ops perspective. Like it, it was great over time. But when when we made a change, we wanted the change to happen. I mean, this is where we started with the GitOps stuff, right? Polling GitOps, Git is not very satisfying. You need a way to say I'm going to poll as a backup, but trigger as a dump preliminary um, I, there's an interesting thing so one of the things we've been building when we're building automation runs like what you're describing a configuration path is we've started um emitting custom events for that so what what when we built the event system it, we made it acceptable to post your own events or post custom events into the event system um mm-hmm which then lets you connect configuration actions together without them being um, uh, forcefully coded together. Like this is, you're, you're, you're hitting on like this core balancing act that, that I feel like I've been treading in automation design for, for a decade, which is simple linear is essential to operators, you know, mentality, control, um, transparency, like understandability of the system, because I think Martez, where, where salt broke down is that it's really scary for an operator to push something and have it, you know, sort of trigger a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe that they have to then understand what's happening. Um, but at the same time, if you don't do that, then you end up with, um, you know, either your hard cut. This was this is actually a dilemma we hit. So I have a Terraform drift detector um, that you can run, but if that the first pass of that we hard coded an alert. Anytime it detected drift, it created an alert, and that alert was the you know, and then you could trigger off the alert downstream from that. But if you didn't want the alerts, you had to turn off the trigger. You have to turn off the the whole uh, drift detector. And so we move that back into creating a custom event. And so when it detects drift, it, it says, hey, here's an event. I detect a drift, gives you all the details about it. And then there's another, another thing that says, okay, when I see this event, I create an alert. You can turn off the alerts, but the system's still emitting the events. And so if I wanted to do remediation actions, all I'd have to do is listen for the event. And I can start building up my logic. I don't want to put either into the, into the base stuff. That makes sense. Um, I just feel like I just ranted for a little while.
1: It, it makes absolute sense, and, and actually, like when I was thinking, uh, when I was listening to you to say like what, you're first triggering the alert and then handling it, and there was no way to to handle the or do to silence the alert without disabling the trigger. Like my first thought was that yeah, like first emit an event and, and then do an alert based on that. But what what I was also starting to think and this might be a bit controversial but uh like this is my impression is that you are treating your event system as the source of truth about the state of the environment Hmm. okay and and, uh, i i'm 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 bringing this back to again like to back in the days when i when i was managing uh VMs primarily and and, and nowadays also what when I'm managing Kubernetes is that um the the service discovery system became my sort of truth so so like in in the end like but before I, I, I started switching to, to containers uh for me Ansible was used to roll out um, roll out, uh, changes that uh, I made a conscious decision to roll out. But then drift detection uh, on, on reconciliation, I ended up delegating to console. Because I had all of my 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 services reporting in on console, and, and if a service went down, it dropped out the 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 console service discovery, and uh, I was using console template to update all of my dependent services. Um. So. So I I get the impression that you are trying to do something similar with the event system in, in your case.
0: Hmm. I mean, there's, there's, and this is, I think, part of the challenge. We're, we're using it for a, a couple of different, the, the use cases we have keep emerging is sort of the way I would describe it. There's definitely um, hooking things together and, and saying, hey, I finished this work. I did that. I, you know, I did an Ansible job, then then do that. Um. Or I ran Ansible or I had a problem. Um, some of it's uh, a lot of it's actually external. Yeah, I get a get check in. Something happened outside of out of our control and we need to we need to take actions on it. Um, some of it, frankly, is as simple as having a way to do cron. All, actually some a lot of it started from a, a cron, a cron perspective. Um, mm-hmm and i don't I don't think I'm giving you a good answer though
1: <laughs> well uh I, I i think you are it's just that uh there's a lot of food for thought, and uh unfortunately we're not giving you a good answer either i i feel like <laughs> like like you, you you're kinda of asking like how can I improve the, the event system and we're like, well, it depends
0: that's actually a very valid answer um right i, I think i think that you know, when we look at at building these systems and and i i love that we went and brought in salt and we've been bringing in ansible it's sort of like the problem here isn't the isn't the system it's actually the operators of the system and that they 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 need to be deterministic and simple to understand um but not so rigid that that you can't you know, decouple things or or link things together when you need to link them together. Um, and that's that's the that's the funny balance here. It's not, you know, I think Salt overcorrected on being an eventing system where it was very hard to link long chains of automation together, and that was daunting. Ansible overcorrected on the super easy to link long chains of automation together, but it's hard to connect it uh, anything else because. You're, you're front loading everything, right? Or to have it act at the end or respond at the end. And so we're, you know, petering back and forth on how to build, how, to, you know, how and what to build that makes it easier to automate.
2: It's the, the classic challenge of do you build a framework that provides flexibility and you sacrifice built in functionality? Or do you go down the route of a lot of built-in functionality without the ability to extend it in a flexible manner?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Classic trade-off.
3: So, so when, it's when the, next,
0: when the next when the next group gets it, <coughs> does a better job than the last people will be like, well,
3: ah. It okay. it's just building, finding that person or team that actually makes the uh, uh that that finds the key to provide a tool that takes you to the next stage so those tools don't exist so you're stuck with the either or at the moment you need a, a a technology jump and you just need someone who has a who has enough experience this is where the senior folks come in handy, enough experience with enough of a slightly different perspective to figure out how to tie them together and, and get to that next stage. And we're still, you know, this, this is, again, all this stuff is just so complex that we need that that someone who simplifies it who figures out what the key is to simplify it so that the tools can be made to abstract out the important stuff. Yeah. I I hear your struggles and literally (laughs) it's like, wow, I feel so, so far behind in lots of ways.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I, it's, it's interesting to me because half of the challenge is, is becoming and, and where I've been putting a lot of focus is on not on being able to do things. It's actually being able to go and teach.
3: Teach. And the other thing is, is you need that time away to actually let all of the information uh kind of bacon in your head and whatnot so you can actually start your own internal categorization and uh, analysis processes. And when you're just in, op, and that's the issue, when you're just in ops mode, it's hard to see either developer or architecture mode. And there needs to be a way to to break off and take what you've learned and... Apply some rigor to it, that that says this works, this doesn't work. What if we do this and whatnot? And part of the issue, and I think Klaus is probably really aware of it, is that most companies won't give you the the time to actually take that time off and and uh, create. And- and, then and that's explore. that's where I
0: think we're gonna to get to talk about mentoring in the next couple of weeks,
3: yeah, the exploration
0: okay. oh, is I, I need I need to jump for my next thing um I will ping you on get on dinner just let me know when you want to come in
3: uh ping me anyway and just because it's like okay. I will forget it otherwise.
0: <laughs> no worries. I will let you know what my track Great. Is. thanks I'm looking forward to seeing you, you yeah it'll yeah. be great.
3: Yes, it's a meeting Martez in person <laughs> for the first time. Cool stuff.
0: Yeah. I will talk to you all next Tuesday and then see you the week Great. later on that week.
3: Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Have a good one. Actually,
0: next Tuesday. It's no, I'm dipping a week already.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Bye.
0: Yeah, I'm not that fast. Thank goodness. All right. Yeah. Wow. I love when a conversation gets to a point of it's a balancing act, because that means that there is a lot of judgment and learning and things that we need to think through in that process. And that's exactly what these conversations help us do is find the place where we can we can balance the competing needs of flexible orchestration and comprehensible linear orchestra uh, workflow and automation. Getting that right is exactly the type of information that you need to make good decisions in your daily life and what DevOps is really all about. Hope you'll join us at the2030.cloud, be part of these conversations, come in and discuss the topics that we are bringing up, the eventing, orchestration, scaling, uh, teams, building teams and and what you need to do to mentor uh, people coming up into the DevOps world. All of these are topics uh, coming up in the next few weeks and I hope you'll be part of them at the Cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put Uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.